Well, it's great to be here. I want to start off by, uh, you know, just thanking Ron for leading our hearts through the communion this morning. It's exciting when you get to hear the preacher lead communion. And uh, thank you, Ron, for just, uh, just for, for leading our hearts in that way. Uh, be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to start off there. Before we read in the scripture, we're going to, uh, I'd like to begin with a prayer. God, it's so great to be here. So great just to be able to worship you. And Lord, we get to look in the scriptures right now. And Lord, I pray that as we're looking in the scriptures, you know, as we're, we're thinking about you, Lord, I pray that we, that we soften our hearts and that we let what your word has to say impact us deeply. God, I pray that you take me out of the way, that it's your word that comes out, that it's your, your word that resonates on people's hearts today and this morning. We love you, and uh, thank you for this time to be here. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Uh, start off, um, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's actually my favorite verse in the Bible. Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. You know, and this morning I wanted to talk about appetites. Appetites. You know, we started off with Luke 9, because self-denial is necessary to Christianity. And one of the things that we have to deny ourselves of is our appetites. Now, I heard a lot of groans when I said appetite. I'm sure you guys thought the same exact thing I thought about when we say appetite, and that's food. I love food. Absolutely love food. I've got my, uh, my mom and my grandmother. They're in town from Georgia. They're, um, yes. They're sitting on the front row, mingling with the college students. They've been hanging out with LaShane and I this week. And, um... It's just been great fun. My mom, she makes a trip out here every year to spend with us over the summer. She's a teacher, so she has her summers off. So she, she finds a you know time to come out and spend time with us. This is my first time my grandmother's come, so that's been very exciting. I'm excited that I get it, that they get to be able to hear me preach as well. You know, one of my fondest memories as a child was on holidays. We would all gather, I mean, there was no, like, there was no agenda, there was no, not, excuse me, there was no, like, pre-planning, there was no, where are we going to go? We just all knew we're going to grandmothers. That's just the way it was. Christmas, we're going to grandmothers. Easter, we're going to grandmothers. And when we went to grandmothers, all we, we ate, and then we ate, and then we ate. I'm from the South, we love to eat, we have casseroles, and desserts. I mean, it's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. And, and one of my favorite meals, one of the favorite things that my grandmother would make if when I come home, she didn't do this all the time, but when I would come, she would always make a lemon chiffon cake. Fancy. It sounds fancy. And what a lemon chiffon cake. It's a, it's a lemon cake. And she does this, um, she does a couple little extra things to it. Uh, and, and the, the frosting is what makes it special. It's the lemon juice mixed with powdered sugar, and you put it on right after it gets out of the oven, and you poke holes in it so the lemon juice gets inside of the lemon cake itself. And the cake is kind of like, it's a little like um, 
I don't know what the word would be like, crunchier on the outside. She got like the crunchy core, the moist, moist on the inside. Excuse me, the crunchy on the outside, moist on the inside. It was just, it's amazing. You guys can tell I love this cake. You know, I'm sure some of you have probably already lost half the audience because you're thinking about food right now. You're thinking about dessert. You're thinking about, you know, those donuts or the cake Ron was talking about. You're thinking about your favorite dessert. Maybe you're not a dessert person. Maybe you're thinking about a nice juicy steak. You know, we had steak last night with my mom and my grandmother. It was amazing. But, you know, appetites, they they just have a way of getting our attention. Okay, so if I've lost you already, come back please. You know, there's more appetites than just food. Okay, we have, some people just have an appetite for sleep. They just love sleep. You know, we have, most all of us have a sexual appetite. You know, and it's something that God gave us. He gave us a sexual appetite. Now, God's given it to us. Sin distorts it. You know, and we can quickly lose control of that appetite if it's not held to the boundaries that are Uh, given in the Bible. We can lose control of that one. Another appetite, we have, you know, the appetite to progress, just to move forward. And if you're, maybe you're you're a leader at your job and you just want to move forward. You love seeing things move forward. You love seeing your employees grow. You love seeing your company get bigger. The appetite to progress. Or you have the appetite for responsibility. You just love responsibility. You always want more responsibility. I know many of us have the appetite for respect. We, we need, we crave respect. The appetite to win. Some of you just can't stand losing. I'm one of those people. I love winning. You know, when I got married and I would go hang out with Lashana's family, we'd go, we played games and the family learned really quickly that I love winning. And I'm very competitive and I'm very sneaky. And when I win, I'm going to, you know, just kind of like, I can't wait till it's my turn because I know I'm about to win this board game. <laughs> have an appetite for winning. Some of us, we have an appetite for love. We just desire um, to be loved and accepted. Some of you have an appetite for fame. Right now, I'm preaching right now, and all you're thinking about is the, do I have, I can't wait till I get to 1,000 Facebook friends or 2,000 Facebook friends or, man, I, I only have 50 likes on my Instagram picture that I posted this morning. What's up with that? Did nobody check their Instagram this morning? All you want, yeah. You just love being rewarded or recognized, and that's your appetite. You want to be famous. You want to be recognized. You want people to see you. And some people, we just have an appetite for stuff, for things. You know, maybe women, I don't get this one, but the shoes and the clothes. I mean, it's just... I can't explain, I, you know, but, you know, for guys, we have our gadgets. I can't always afford the newest gadget, but I always know about the newest gadget. You know, we have all different appetites. And most of these are not going to go away with us. And that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to talk about getting rid of your appetites. I want to talk this morning about how to control them. Like Luke 9.23, he just says, deny yourself. It is necessary, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a Christian, it is absolutely necessary that you learn to control your appetites. And they, can, they have to be controlled in order to be a Christian, because our appetites, they only really have one word, and that's more. Appetites want more. 
You know, and I have really two things, two points about appetites that I want everyone to walk away with today. And then we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 25. But uh, two things that I want you to walk away with is one, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. You can go eat a huge meal, and if somebody brings around the dessert plate and you're like, oh, yes, I'll take some of that. You know, I took my mom and my grandmother to BJ's while they're out here because I wanted a pizookie. But of course I had a meal before the pizookie. You know, and then you can have coffee, and your, body is tell- your body's telling you you're full, but a couple hours later, what do you want more of? You want more food. You're never fully and finally satisfied. And that goes with all these other appetites that I just mentioned. And the other thing I want you to walk away with is your appetite always whispers now. And it never whispers later. And when you go to the store or like maybe go to the car dealership and you're on the car lot. Your appetite is not saying to you, wait a year. It is not saying that. It is saying, okay, how can you move some money around? How can you make it work in your monthly budget to pay for this car right now? That's what your appetite is saying. Okay, but that's just the way it is with things. Like our appetites always whisper now. They never whisper later. And our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. So we need to understand that about our appetites. And we, no wonder we get in so much trouble when it comes to our appetites. You know, in Genesis chapter 25, we're introduced to a couple characters in the Bible. A guy named Esau and Jacob. They're twins. And Esau, Esau, let me describe Esau to you. He's a man's man. He's hairy. The Bible says he's hairy. He likes to hunt. Bible says Esau is a man of the open country. I mean, that's just a cool description. And Esau was the firstborn. And something you need to know before we read the story about Esau was he, as the firstborn, was set to inherit the firstborn's birthright. And what that birthright is, he gets, he gets a few things. Number one, Esau gets a double portion of the inheritance. So whatever... The rest of the siblings get, he gets twice as much. So if you got a rich father, you are set for life. And Esau's dad was uh, pretty well off. You know, he also, after his dad passed, became head of the family. That, was, that came with the birthright, with being the oldest. You become head of the family. And the other thing that a lot of uh, people back then, what they believed was as the head of the family, as the one, the recipient of the birthright was you were more blessed by God because of this birthright. So that's what that's Esau. Man's man, liked to hunt, a man of the open country. His dad favored him and he had the birthright. I mean, he had everything working for him. You know, you look at that and you're like, man, I want to be Esau. And then you got Jacob. He's the younger brother. He's the younger twin. He came out after Esau. Um, He liked to stay home. The Bible says he stayed in the tent, around the tent. He liked to stay home a lot. He liked to cook. He was kind of a mama's boy. That was Jacob. Okay, kind of a mama's boy. Hung out with mom. Mom liked him. 
and uh, dad liked Esau. That's, that's the two that we're dealing with. And I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, First, Sell me your birthright. You know, Esau, he comes in from hunting, doing his, doing his manly thing, and then he, it says he's famished. And he goes up to his younger brother, and he asks for something. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm the oldest of four, so I, I recognize this dynamic. If you're an only child, you might not recognize this. Bear with me here for a second. Um, but the older brother never needs something from the younger brother, right? The older sibling, really, that it's rare when it happens. The older sibling really doesn't go to the younger sibling. Normally, it's the other way around. You know, but this time, Esau comes in. He's had a long day. He's famished, it says. And he asks Jacob for some food. And Jacob thinks of the, the thing at the top of the list. Okay, you want some food? What is the biggest thing that I want? I mean, he shoots for the moon. He says, all right, I'll give you some food. All I want, I want to be richer than you. I want to be more powerful than you. And I want more blessings than you. I mean, fair trade, right? Right? I mean, we laugh at that because we understand what a birthright is and what he really was trading this stew for your birthright. I mean, who would do that? And the answer to that is, you would. And so would I for the right bowl of stew. You know, someone comes along and there's, it's a relationship or it's a job, you know, it's a choice. And they put it in front of you and they say, all you have to do is they ha you have to trade your family. You have to trade your integrity. You have to trade your future, your relationship with your kids or your wife or your husband. You got to trade your relationship with God or your salvation for this bowl of stew. You can have what you want now, but you'll have to give up something later. You know, we can look back a lot of times in our own lives, and we might even know somebody else that they've made this trade in seasons of their own life. I know for myself, I can look back at seasons of my life where I've made this trade and regretted it. And if we're not in the right place spiritually, we will make that trade every time. You know, Jacob says that in verse 32 Esau, I don't get this, but he says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? You ever said that? I am so hungry, I'm about to die. I mean, Esau, you just walked in from outside of the camp. You walked into the camp. You walked into the tent. You have enough energy to talk to your brother and have this conversation. You're not about to die, Esau. We know that. It's a figure of speech. But he is about to die. You know, and see, that's what happens when we're not focused on our relationship with God. 
When we're not walking closely with God, we get tunnel vision when it comes to our appetites. And we think to ourselves, I have to have that. This is the answer. And we have to remember that our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And that your appetite wants something now without thinking about the later. And when you have that tunnel vision, you will make a bad trade and you'll have a bad reason to go along with the trade. I mean, Esau wasn't about to die. You know, the story, well, one thing about Esau that we need to know is that tells us where he's at. In Hebrews chapter 12, you can just write this down, verse 16. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, his inheritance rights as the oldest son. You know, it tells us where Esau was. He was godless. And if we're not centered on God, if we're not centered on his plans, then your appetites and their strong cravings will take you out every time. You know, the story goes on. Jacob, in verse 33, Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. You know, Jacob said, Hey, I want it in writing first, Esau. I want it in writing. Swear to me. And this is the part of the story where I just wish I could go back. I just wish I could go back and have a little conversation with Esau. And just pull him aside. Hey, Esau, before you make this trade, Esau, before you go here, let me talk to you. Can we go inside the tent really quick, Esau, and have a conversation? Esau, this this is going to be hard for you to imagine, but I want to tell you what you're trading right now, Esau. You know, Esau, you're going to just imagine this, Esau. I know it's hard to imagine, Esau, but you're going to have 12 children. And they're going to grow up, and they're going to grow into a nation of millions. And in 400 years, you know, God's going to be silent during that time. They're going to be enslaved. But God's going to reach out to a man, He's going to, and his name is Moses. God's going to send this guy Moses. It's an amazing story, Esau. We don't really got time for all of that. But God's going to send this guy named Moses... To, to, to rescue this nation. And God's going to introduce himself to Moses. And he's going to say, Moses, out of a burning bush, it's nice to meet you. God, and I know, Moses, you think there's a bunch of other gods out there, but I am the only God. And he's going to say, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But if you make that trade, Esau, if you make that trade, it will forever be, forever be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your little brother. I wish I could keep saying to him, like, Esau, it's going to get better than that. Because 2,000 years after that, guess what's going to happen? God won't just deliver a nation. He's going to deliver the entire world. He's going to send his son Jesus. He's going to die He's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to die on a Roman cross. And I know you don't know what a Roman is. I know you don't know what a cross is. We'll talk about that stuff later, Esau. But he's going to send him. He's going to die on a Roman cross. And Jesus is going to, he's going to die for the sins of the entire world. We're not going to have animal sacrifice like your granddad taught about because of what Jesus is going to do, Esau. And then 
Jesus is going to have one of his followers. His name is going to be Matthew. And his follower is going to write a letter. He's going to write a book about what all happened when Jesus was alive. It's going to be the greatest story ever told. This book is going to be in circulation forever. It's going to be translated into many languages. Many nations are going to read this book. And the introduction is going to go like this. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Esau. You will be in the introduction of the greatest story ever told, Esau. If you trade all that, if, but if you trade your birthright for that bowl of stew, it will forever be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your little brother. You know, I'd want to tell him one more thing. Esau, one more thing. It would be better for you to starve to death than to make that trade and give all that up. But of course, we're not able to be there. We're not able to have that conversation with him. None of us can. We wish we can. But we know because we know the whole story. You know, the issue is never the bowl of stew. It's what you're trading it for. I want to ask you, what's your bowl of stew? What's sitting in front of you right now? Maybe it, it might be an opportunity. And if you take, away, take advantage of this opportunity, your career is going to go sky high. Your career is going to progress to levels that you never imagined. But you're going to have to trade some things. You're going to have to trade away many nights with your family. You're going to have to trade away going to see the recitals and the ball games. You're going to have to trade away maybe a whole chapter in your family's lives and, and you won't be able to get it back. Are you sure you want to make that trade? Maybe some of you, the, 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 the cup is the bowl of stew is shortcuts. And what you're going to have to sacrifice is your integrity. You're going to have to sacrifice your reputation. Maybe you're going to sacrifice some of your closest relationships, the respect that your wife and your kids have for you. And sure, I know it's a big green bowl of stew with many little dead presidents floating around in it. It's a very lucrative bowl of stew. But are you really willing to trade away your future for that bowl of stew? Maybe the bowl of stew is, a, is another person. It's a bowl of stew relationship. And you are sitting in here thinking right now, like, if I was with him or her, it would just be so much better. They are what I need. They complete me. That's all I need. They are going to be the end all. They are going to fill me up. And I'm never going to need anything else. Remember, our appetites are never fully satisfied. Relationships, they're temporary because... We are all temporary. But is that the bowl of stew that's put in front of you? You know, the tragedy of this story with Esau is the stew was gone very quickly. doesn't take that long to eat a bowl of stew. And the same can be for us. The things that, we're, that, 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 we're, that we have an appetite for, a lot of times they're just temporary. And they're gone just as fast as that bowl of stew was for Esau. 
So what do we do? When we have that bowl of stew that's, you know, because we got this appetite that just, it's, it's focused. What do we do? What's the solution? What was Esau not able to do? You know, Esau had an opportunity. Esau knew about something. He knew that God had talked to his granddad, Abraham, and Abraham, God made a promise with Abraham that he was going to be the father of nations. And so Esau knew enough to know that there was something bigger at stake than just this bowl of stew. The problem was he was godless. He took his eyes off the prize. So what do you do? This is the hard part. You have to take your bowl of stew and set it on the table of God's promises. You know, and then when you do that, I want you to take a step back and look at the entire spread. Because on the table of God's promises, that bowl of stew isn't even a garnish. It's not, it's not even worthy of being there. Actually, when you really sit back and you look at that bowl of stew, you'll probably want to wipe it off the table. Because you're going to be able to step back and you'll say, I'm not going to trade my future. I'm not going to trade my family. I'm not going to trade their reputation. I'm not going to trade the potential to have a pure relationship one day with someone. I'm not going to trade my relationship with my children. I'm not going to trade my integrity, my financial security, the respect of my husband or my wife for this measly little bowl of stew. But you can't see it unless you put it on the table of God's promises. So you sit back and you'll be able to say, wow, God has something way better for me. You know, go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. This is how we move that bowl of stew to the table. Because it's easier said than done, right? I mean, I can talk about it all day long. Hey, you need to move it. You need to focus on God's promises. It's easier said than done. It just doesn't happen like that because when we are being, when we have that thing in front of us, that thing that we really want, we get that tunnel vision. You know, I, I know last night I was working on finishing up the sermon, just going through it. And I was supposed to cook. And guess what happens? I'm grilling steaks. Ran out of propane. <laughs> yeah. Ran out of propane. And, um, you know, I know the rule is you're supposed to have an extra propane tank with you at all times. And so I learned that. I've heard that, but I didn't do it. And all I could think about, I'm supposed to be finishing up my sermon notes. All I could think about was the steak. The food and just the trouble that that was like bringing me. And it's hard sometimes to move that bowl of stew to the table that God has prepared for us. So how do we do it? In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You know, when we forget about these things, it says we're nearsighted and blind. But if we focus on the promises that God has for us, what we'll be inclined to do is add to those. We'll, we'll be inclined to go after this, this great list that he gives us. We'll be inclined to go after our faith, our goodness, our knowledge, our self-control, our perseverance, our godliness, our brotherly kindness and love. And it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, increasing measure, it doesn't just happen. It's something that you have to work at something that you have to focus on, that you have to go after. You know, I have one practical for everyone that I want to ask everyone to do. And if, you, if, you, if, you gotta, um, if you're writing, taking notes or have your phone, taking notes on your phone, I want you to write this one thing down. I want you to write down, 10 years from now, I want, I wish, and I hope. You know, what do you want in your relationship with God 10 years from now? What do you want for your future, for your family, your reputation? What do you want for your standing in your community? What do you want when it comes to your finances 10 years from now? Do, they, do all of those things line up with the Bible? But when you write those things down, when you, when you write it, and this is going to be one of those things, you can't, you can't just do it one time. You're going to have to sit down and maybe, maybe this whole week, all the way up until next Sunday, keep adding to that list. Ten years from now, I want, I wish, I hope. Ask yourself and, and think about those things because when that bowl of stew is coming and is put in front of you, you can set it on that table and you can be like, wow, does this line up with all of these other things? You know, and you have to make sure all of those other things line up with what God has for us and the promises that God has for us. You know, what's your bowl of stew? What is being put in front of you right now? The challenge is to take it and put it on God's table and, the, and hold to the promises that has, he has for each one of us. Don't make the trade. It's not worth it. Amen, guys. We're going to stand up and close in one final song.